Hi, I'm Carlos Frias. Welcome to Sundial on WLRN. At seven years old, Claudia Forestieri and her Dominican family moved to Miami. It wasn't exactly a warm welcome. She got made fun of at school for her English and her weight. Classroom bullies called her fatso, and one teacher left her outside all day for speaking Spanish. She found comfort in writing. So when her elementary school held a writing contest, Claudia had a lot to say. The prompt was, I wish. And Claudia wrote, I wish I were skinny. She won, but she didn't know the principal would be reading the winning essay over the loudspeaker to the entire school. Yeah, it was humiliating, but it was the first time her writing got recognized and it sparked a dream of becoming a writer. Claudia went on to write and produce her own show, Gordita Chronicles, which launched on HBO Max this summer. The 10-episode comedy series is loosely based on her own life. The main character, Cuckoo, is a gordita transplanted from the Dominican Republic to Hialeah in the 1980s. She's learning to navigate a country and a culture that sees her very differently. Everybody here looks like Madonna. Even the boys. Hey, I'm Chad. Watch where you're going, fatso. Fatso means gordita, gordita. It's a sweet, earnest throwback sitcom, and it won over audiences and critics. But despite rave reviews, Gorita Chronicles was unceremoniously dropped by HBO. Gorita's looking for a new home, and I suspect it'll find one, because I don't think Claudia's ready to give up on her Gordita just yet. Welcome, Claudia. Hi, Carlos. Thank you so much for being here, because I, I really just love this show. Uh, my fiance found it, and she's like, you got to watch this, and we just binged it endlessly. And my, my producer in the other room, Elisa, uh, also, we just we just loved it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm all teary-eyed just listening to your introduction. You guys really did your research. Vite, we do homework down here. <laughs> in the 305, we do our homework. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I think one of the most important things to start with is, is the idea of gordita. So we didn't say chubby girl. We didn't translate it because... Gordita doesn't translate culturally. Uh, chubby girl is not endearing in the way that gordita is, and and I'm curious about that. When like when you when you personally learn that difference, because the character learns it in the show, and it's it's right there in the pilot. Yeah. So you know, growing up, you know, I was always called gordita and everything, but it was always you know, with words, words can be so loaded and it's all about the subtext and when you use the word and the tone of your voice. Mm -hmm. So um, I knew like immediately, even though these two words were supposed to mean the same thing, um, you know, when you said it in English, I, I just knew by the way the people were delivering it to me that it did not mean the same thing, you know, that it's like, it was an insult. So, you know, even to this day, like when I hear like, people like you know like colombianos like use gordo a lot like ah, venga acá, mi gordo. and every time i hear that i'm like still like oh my god like <laughs> people use that word like in spanish as a term of endearment it's very sweet but yeah in english you call some even if you call somebody chubby like hey chubby boy come over here like yeah you could get in trouble yeah and and the 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 girl, the, the character Cuckoo in the show, uh, she you, she learns this in the first episode, you know, and uh, which we heard a little clip of it there. And um, I, I'm curious, like, when did you when did you find the comedy in that? When did you start to, to see the, that there was comedy in that idea? Um, well, this idea actually um, started off as like 
a drama, believe it or not. And um, it was like a one hour sample that I wrote. I had been in LA like for many years trying to break in as a writer. And I got the very sage advice to write a script that only I could write. Huh. And the purpose of that, yeah, was so people would remember who I am and connect me to the script and they would know what my voice is and what my experiences are. And so, you know, um, so I did that. And then um, I had a meeting with Frank Ochoa, a comedy executive at Sony, because I was writing both one hour dramas and half hour comedies. Mm -hmm. And when he read it, he's like, hey, I think this could be like a TV show. Like, you know, would you be willing to turn it into a half hour comedy? And I was like, what? I'm like, I will turn this into like a musical. If you want. <laughs> like whatever, like if you think it could sell, please let's do it. So I guess part of me always knew that it could be a comedy, but since my experiences, like when I was, and I was also, I was younger when I came to Miami and it was also a different year. So that was part of like the small, you know, the changes that we did to make it more of a lighthearted comedy. Like in real life, I came when I was seven, which is a more impressionable age mm -hmm. because you don't have a lot of agency in your life. You don't have a lot of say. You can't even like put a finger on your emotions. And I also came in 1981. So my family's move to Miami coincided with the Mariel boat lift. So there was a huge influx of immigrants at the time and there was all this backlash. So I kind of got swept into all that as a seven-year-old child. So um, I didn't realize there were, could be like really funny moments into this until like somebody else almost had to tell me like, hey, you know, you could also look at this in a funny way. And I was like, yeah, I guess you could. Cause you, that's the thing about when you're writing about something so personal, sometimes you don't know kind of like what's the most interesting parts, what the funny parts are, you know, like, right. like sometimes people could be at their funniest when they're just being themselves. Right. So I was just kind of like did a script about myself, very personal. And then someone else saw that it had a lot of funny potential. And then I had to kind of, you know, thankfully, when we got greenlit to series, um, I teamed up with Brigitte Munoz Lebowitz, who, although she didn't grow up in Miami, she was Latina, she's um, half Colombiana, and she was she's a freaking comedy goddess. <laughs> she had been on all these amazing shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine on People of Earth, and she's like a hardcore comedian. And she like, I would, I would say like that, you know, half of her job was turning my sad memories into comedies, Wow, you know, and into jokes. <laughs> and you know, what's interesting is that I, I thought that, um, you know, you and she are both Latinas. She's the, she's the, you're the creator. She's the showrunner, both of you Latinas. I imagine your writer's room reflected that diversity as well. Yes, I really wanted, when you're putting together a writer's room, you, it, it's a very strategic thing. It's kind of like Jenga. You want all the right puzzles to fit in. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, we knew we wanted um, heavy immigrant and Latino experiences. Um, even one of our few like, you know, um, Anglo or white writers was an immigrant himself from Canada. So um, that was very important to us to have like, that diversity that you see in Miami. Well, you know, what's funny is that that version that you see is one of the most Miami versions that I've seen Miami depicted. And number one, it's not Miami, it's Hialeah. And, yeah. and it's very, it's very diverse in, in not just in color, but in culture and class. Like there's a lot of, there are a lot of different characters there that I recognize, you know, certainly in a, in a, a comedic kind of way, you know, everything is a little bit more in technicolor, but it, it really felt more, uh, authentic 
Well, thank you for saying that because that was extremely intentional. Like, um, I um, I love Miami and Miami's my muse. And even though I've been in LA for like the last 14 years, um, Miami is like where my mom is still at, my sister, like my lifelong friends. And I just think it's such an interesting city. And I always thought that TV show creators like did a disservice when they set shows in Miami. Like, I think they just looked at Miami like on the surface, like, ooh, the sexy bikinis and, you know, people with their shirts off on the beach. I mean, who doesn't love to see that? But <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's so much more to Miami. There's so many different cultures and it's such a layered place. And it's like, a, you know, it's also a place where like immigrants and people who've come from the Caribbean and Latin America are in charge, which is something you don't see anywhere else in the United States. And I really, really, really wanted to reflect that. Like I wanted every piece of like the show to feel like it was in Miami. And, you know, even um, a couple of the actors that we got um, that hadn't had the privilege of growing up in Miami. We, um, one of our actors, our writers, Rebecca Delgado Smith, she's a fellow Miamian and she um, helped us um, to get, um, teach some of the actors the Miami dialect. You oh, know, like that certain... is so funny. You taught yeah. the Miami dialect where, where so many people are, they, they can't figure out, like, because I think it's funny that people who are even American and don't speak Spanish down here have the Miami accent, which I think it's, which I think that's, that's funny. How, how was that like watching that the Miami accent get talked into a character versus talked out of a person? Oh my God. It was, it was really fun. It was really great. And you know, Rebecca did like an amazing job. She's a writer comedian. Um, so she had that like acting experience and she was able to kind of like break it down for, I wasn't able to sit in all the sessions she had with the actors, but she really was able to break it down really, really well. And I first noticed a Miami accent when I went to, when I went away to college, um, to the university of Florida, go Gators. Oh and, yeah. Same um, here. Go Gators. <laughs> and yeah, you went to University of Florida too? Yeah, yeah, class of 1997, baby. Oh my god. Oh my god. I was class of 96. There so. you go. Oh wow. Wow, we just missed each other. That's okay. Right. I was over at the Alligator yeah. and it sounds like you were over at uh, UF UFJ or UFT. E yes, I was on the TV side, broadcast news. Well, you know, I read that they heard your Miami accent and they were like, "You can't make it in broadcast journalism with that Miami accent." Yes, what was that, that is like? true. I know. And um, and yeah, there's a constant theme in my life is all you have to do is tell me I can't do something for me to like prove you wrong. So <laughs> as to the, um, the broadcast department has two radio stations and where the students, the broadcast news students could, you know, participate in. Mm -hmm. And I was working at one station and I kept trying out to, you know, tell the news on the radio. And they kept telling me, no, no. Finally, I was like, what is it? Like, you know, I think I'm just as good as all these other people that get on air. And then they said that, oh, well, you know, you have an accent. And I was like, what? I'm like, what are you talking about? Hello. <laughs> but um, <laughs> And then I was like, but I didn't give up. And then I went to an accent reduction um, teacher. And that's when I started seeing kind of like, for example, you know, in Miami, we say super a lot. Like, oh, my God, super cute. Yep. You know, and also like um, you can always tell somebody from Miami when if you ask them to say the word three. So if you a lot of people in Miami like roll their R's when they say three, they say three. Right. They roll their eyes. Their R's. So that's one of the things I learned how to say three without rolling my R's. And I used to say news instead of news. <laughs> and I used to say call instead of call. 
So I learned all these little things and um, yeah. And then I went to the rival station and I tried out there and then I finally got on the air. Wow. And then eventually you took all of that that you'd learned and throw it in the trash and, and wrote Gordita Chronicles. <laughs> We're talking with yeah. uh, Claudia Forestieri. She is the writer of the show Gordita Chronicles uh, that uh, premiered on HBO Max. You know, I'm, I'm curious about uh, how you got there because, you know, you, you kind of started in this career. Um, you started in, in TV news, right? Like you, you followed that track to TV news. Did you always know that it was going to go from there to... To, to writing for for TV? Well, um, I, I always hoped it would go there, but like, you know, I grew up in the 80s and I went to college in the 90s. And um, back then, you know, we don't have the internet the way we have it now. Mm. So um, I had no idea how to become a TV writer. I thought I was like a huge Oprah fan. I had, had the chance to meet her like in 1996 at a journalism convention. And um, I thought, well, Oprah like started in news and then Oprah had her TV show and then Oprah ended up in movies. So I'm gonna start in news. Hmm. And then um, that's why I majored in broadcast news. And you know, and but then I got caught up in, in um, you know, reporting and all the, the news track. And I was never able to really to see a path out of it. And um, many years passed, I, I went back to Miami and I was working um, in uh, public relations, uh, putting my media experience to use that way. And um, in 2008, uh, this man by the name of Alex Nogales, who was the head of the National Hispanic Media Coalition, went around to different big cities in the United States that had big Latino populations. And he started talking about how you could break into TV writing. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been waiting to hear for like 15 years. Like how the hell do you break into TV writing? And um, I applied to the writing program. I didn't get in, but by then it was too late. And you know, it was 2008. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, no, I'm, this is what I'm gonna do. But, you know, I must do this. So awesome. in 2009, yeah, I, I, you know, turned in my beautiful apartment in Coral Gables and um, <laughs> I moved to L.A. with five thousand dollars and um, that money ran out real quick. And it's, it's not like I thought that they were giving away like TV writing jobs at LAX or anything. But I thought, oh, I used to be a TV reporter. I have, you know, they need Latinas like writing TV shows. It's going to be easy for me to get a job. Yeah. Cut yeah. to it took me nine years. Right. Well, I, I want to pick up from there, but we're going to take a little break uh, and then be back. We're speaking with Claudia Forestieri. She's a Dominican-American writer uh, and the creator of the hit series Gordita Chronicles. Be back on Sundial in a minute. We're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias. Our guest today is Claudia Forestieri. Uh, she's the writer of the Gordita Chronicles, a hit series on HBO Max. Um, Claudia, I wanted to pick up on something you said, which was nine years. It took you nine years to make this show and to get to this point uh, after moving to L.A. And I think about like the the, the musical Tick, Tick, Boom um, and mm -hmm. with, you know, the movie version with Andrew Garfield, how that whole yes. movie is about a play that never gets made, but it yeah. leads to rent. And yes. and I wonder if you had a similar experience, like a lot of start and stops that that or, or little bits and pieces that led to the creation of Gorita Chronicles, which was wonderful. Yeah, uh, well, the guy from Rent, I think at the end of the movie, they tell you that he 
died the night before. Yeah, that's that. That didn't <laughs> so happen. At least to you. I got <laughs> I got to live to see Gordita uh, on the air. But um, yeah, it's just you know it's very competitive out here. Like you go to any coffee shop in LA, and like everybody's working on a script. You know, everybody like wants to be in like a, a writer or a director or a producer or an actor or a comedian it's so competitive out here and even though there's a lack of latino representation um you in order to break in you really your craft really really needs to be very strong and one of the things that i i needed to learn early on was um you know writing a new script is not the same as writing a tv script it's it's a longer format right it's a lot more intricate there's a lot of stuff going on but it's one of those things that looks deceptively simple right. to execute like you figure like oh my god i love the sopranos i have great taste in tv but you <laughs> i'll know, just love sit mad down men. and write i'll just sit down and write mad men right now exactly <laughs> but yeah it, it's it's really it's really hard and it's, it's one of those things too that like the more you learn the more you appreciate you know good writing and um yeah yeah. Well, I, I imagine that there's a lot of you in this show um, because, like you said, you really tapped into who you were. So, so let's talk about your Miami credentials a little bit. Uh, do you consider you said Miami's your muse? Uh, tell me about growing up, growing up down here. Where did you grow up? Where'd you go to high school? Give us your. Let us place you in the world yes. that is Miami. <laughs> okay. Yes. So um, we came in 1981, mm-hmm. and we actually lived in Miami Springs. Okay. And my dad worked for Eastern Airlines. That's true to life. Okay. And that's how we ended up in Miami. And um, so, you know, in Miami Springs, there were a lot of people that uh, were worked at the airline. They're like, you know, Pan Am um, um, employees were also, you know, found a lot in Miami Springs. And then we were right across the street from Hialeah. Now, um, even though like I didn't live in Hialeah, like that's where I always hung out. And that was another change that I um, I made in um, in the script. You know, in real life, we came and we were in Miami Springs. In the show, we couldn't use the the city name Miami Springs. We had to use the fictional Miami Palms. That's oh, across the street. Interesting. From, yeah, yeah. So you know, thankfully we could use Hialeah. So um, what happened? The, Miami the, Springs got all bent out of shape because you wanted to use their city name. You know what? I don't know. I I did. I was just told That's by why Sony. is just cooler that way, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know if it's because Hialeah is like a bigger city. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I, all I know is that the lawyer told us we can't use Miami Springs. We have to use a, another, you know, name. So I was like, I you know, I sat down. I'm like, okay, Miami Pines, Miami Vista, <laughs> and then Miami Palms was like the best option. So we went with Miami Palms. But um, what I remember about Miami Springs and Hialeah it was like a tale of two cities mm. you know like miami springs was one of you know a neighborhood that that still had like a lot of like you know americanos as we say in miami right. um and um but you cross the street to Hialeah, and it was like you know 99 cubans signs in spanish there's like salsa playing everywhere and um, they mowed I down every to- tree that uh they that uh that, that didn't bear any kind of fruit right yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and also a uh, Hialeah phenomenon, which is like uh, paving over the front yards to put more cars. Y- yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had all family like I grew up. My, my abuelita's house was on one side and my tío's house was on Miami Springs. So we went back and forth and uh, you could definitely see the difference. Right. Uh, it was such a, it was such a difference. It was such a difference. Plant more so, trees, yeah. Miami. Plant more trees. Plant more right? trees, Hialeah. 
Like, yes. Can I ask you about growing up at home? Did you speak uh, a lot of Spanish at home? Because I love, like, in the characters on the show, I love, number one, they, they speak Spanish. And, like, oh, and the other thing is, like, the 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 dad, you, the characters are also portrayed, um, uh, they're not the huddled masses that came here because they had no other options. It's like the, the dad had gone to, you know, had gone away to college and had, you know, uh, like, they were these, it painted... A, a different nuance to, to Latinos on TV. And I thought that was really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. In my house, we spoke only Spanish, actually. Um, the first year or two that we were here, my parents could tell that we were already losing our Spanish. Mm. So they like did this rule that like, en la casa solamente español. And only I'm like, Spanish at home. Gotcha. Yeah. Only Spanish. And so we, and my dad also like, um, you know, spoke four languages and, um, Oh, what he did had he speak? lived. He spoke English, Spanish, French, and Italian. Okay, forestieri, so, right? Yeah, forestieri actually means like foreigner, oh which my God. is yeah. I, I come from like you know a long generation of immigrants. Like my grandfather left the Dominican Republic in over a hundred years. Sorry, left Italy for the Dominican Republic over a hundred years ago. My parents left the Dominican Republic for Puerto Rico. And I was actually born in Puerto Rico. I was the only one in the family born in Puerto Rico. And then we moved, that's when my dad started working for Eastern. And then we moved to Miami in 1981. So, wow. you know, that I also wanted to express, like, again, the experience of a lot of immigrants in, in Miami. Of course, you have the huge Cuban, Cuban American population. And we all know about that situation, why, you know, the Cubans left to come to Miami. But then you also have all these other, you know, immigrant groups from other countries that come like, you know, under different circumstances. Whole different backstories, right? Yes. Yes. Because unfortunately, you know, and we don't have in American TV, we don't have that many different the, there's a horrible stereotype, which is, you know, everybody like comes undocumented and, and, you know, or there's a lot of criminals that, you know, after, yeah, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of negative narratives and I just wanted to portray what I had seen growing up. You're like, that's not the, that's not what I grew up seeing. That's not my reality. It's, it seems like that was that show, that show. I, do you think that's why it took off right away? I mean, cause it was like, it was like a hit from day one. I want to say it dropped like in June, um, and the LA Times had this great, just this really great review of it, uh, which I read after the fact. I was like, do other people know about this show? Um, and, and did you hear that right away? Did you hear that kind of response um, from what people were seeing? Yeah, I mean, little by little, um, we it was, you know, nerve wracking up until like the day of the premiere. And thankfully, we had a really good amount of media interest. I think in large part due to two of our executive producers, Eva Longoria and Zoe Saldana and her, you know, brilliant sisters, they were all really behind the project and they participated a lot in the publicity. And I think with publicity, it's like, you know, you get that one or two first big hits and then other people, it kind of, it's like a domino effect if you're lucky. Um, and so we, we, you know, we were getting that buzz and it was building and then we start getting this feedback and I, you know, working in news, you kind of develop this sense of not tragedy, but you're always looking for the other shoe to drop. Right, right. So I kept waiting for that negative <laughs> critique 
I was like, oh my God, somebody's going to come out and say like, oh, you know, this is, you know, not true. Or somebody's going to find the photo of me when I was skinny. I never was. <laughs> but I just kept waiting for something to come out of the work work. But then it never did. It never did. It was just all, po- you know, mostly, um, you know, positive and all this buzz. And then like people like sharing. I, I got so many uh, messages on my Instagram from, you know, mothers and, and gorditas who were like, oh, my God, thank you for the show. I feel so seen and Dominicans wow. and Cubans. And so, yeah, that was like so beautiful just to to get all that wave of, of positive feedback from the media and from viewers alike. And, and what was the reaction at home? Because I imagine, you know, maybe your maybe your mom or dad had had seen you write this fictionalized version of their self, them, of yourself, and and what was their reaction to seeing some of the things that that you know that little Claudia might have lived through? Oh wow! Well, you know, really positive reaction. Um, my um, my dad unfortunately passed away, so he didn't get to see the show. He I'm died sorry. in 2019. Yeah, but he wasn't around when the show first got optioned. Oh wow! So okay. yeah, so he knew that it was a possibility that was coming around the corner, and he was, you know, wanted me to make sure that I I um, hired a handsome actor to play him. <laughs> and which <you> did. <laughs> I complied. I complied. Juan Javier, he's amazing. He's also very talented, and. And um, my mom um, loved the actress that played her character. And she was like, you know, she needs to get more episodes. She needs to get more lines. (laughs) My mom was advocating for Diana Maria. Like, you know, she was her doppelganger. Like that um, is hilarious. Yeah. There were other people in the family that were kind of a little bit more shy. They're like, oh, you better not put this. You better not put that. But mostly positive feedback. Awesome. And can we talk about Olivia Goncal? Goncalves, the who plays Cuckoo on the show, is that kid just like a star in the making? Oh my God, I think so. I think so. I mean, that was a little miracle finding um, Olivia because it was very, very difficult to find. There's not that many Latino child actors. For all the parents out there, if you have a talented kid, like sign them up for acting classes because we need more Latino child actors. Hi, mama. And as- yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a, every mom is taking notes right now. Getting ready to fly Please. her kid to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, one of one the actor who plays um, Yoshi is from Miami, Noah. Oh, really? So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually is grew up in Miami Springs. So, oh. um, yeah. And a, that's her. That's uh, Cuckoo's best friend on the on the show. Yes. Who was best friend on the show? So we we saw a lot of wonderful, very talented little girls, but we really needed somebody who had a big range, right? Who had that chispa, that you know, moxie, um, and also could play like these sadder, more sensitive moments. Yeah. And um, I put out uh, the call on Facebook, and my friend Jorge Reyes who was from New York, he's like, hey, I know a guy in New York that works with kids. He could probably help you, but he says, you got to call him. So I call this guy, his name is Ulises Terrero. His brother is Jesse Terrero, who's a director. So Ulises is like, "Um, why should I help you? And I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, you know, I'm so tired of you Hollywood types. Like, you know, I send you people and then you don't give them a real chance and I can find you somebody, but you better give them a chance. And I'm like, oh my God, please, yes, this is my first show. Please, like, you know, I can find you. You're like, I'm from Miami, son. I'm not from Hollywood. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) So then he sends me three videos and one of them was Olivia and she introduces herself and then she does a dance to Savage by Megan Thee Stallion. Oh my God. And it... It ends with a split. Amazing. And, 
Samantha and I was like, oh my God, please let this girl be able to act. And then, um, so she does her, you know, her tape, she makes it to what's called a callback, which is, um, you know, when you, when you send, uh, when you apply for a part, the first step is you send in, you self tape yourself reading a page or two from the script. And then you send it in and then if they like it, they call you back with the producers. So we did a call back and I was like, guys, look, you know, I know she's, you know, she's doesn't have, a, you know, any acting experience, but I really think this, you know, actress has potential. Any, and then, she didn't have any acting experience. None whatsoever. Amazing, amazing. That kid I inhabited, know. it's like that kid, it's like they grabbed you from being a little kid is what it felt like and, and, and just like, here, just be yourself. Yes, and I think that's that's why she she did such a great job. Did and you, did, Eva Longoria was able to spot her talent and during one of the callbacks, and she was like, "No, this is our girl." So and and did you did you mentor her in any way? Like, I mean, here's this this young girl. Uh, like, uh, she played like I said, she inhabited that that gordita. You know, um, did you find uh, having any conversations with her? Oh my God, yeah, all the time. Um, you know, from the very beginning, her and her mother, Jazz. Like we developed a really, you know, close relationship and I would always just try to guide her because I know what it's like when you're um, that age and you're overweight and people might make fun of you sometimes. But sometimes it felt like she was kind of like mentoring me wow. because she, you know, um, <laughs> she is a lot stronger than I was at that age. You know, like she, you know, was telling me one time that um, somebody like when they found out she got the part was like, oh, you only got it because you're fat, whatever. And like, you know, she told me what, what she snapped back at them. It's like, whatever, I'm going to be on TV and you're not. So leave me alone. So she would <laughs> she would tell me these little stories and I was like, oh, my God. So it's almost like she became my role model. And and she was just so smart and and so talented. And she was even writing a script for season two. Oh my you God, know? <laughs> amazing, amazing yeah. because I, and I want to get into that, that season two and whether there's going to be another one, but we got to take a little bit of a break. Uh, we're speaking with Claudia Forestieri. She is the creator of the series Gordita Chronicles, which aired on HBO Max. We'll be back in a second with her. And we're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias, and our guest is Claudia Forestieri, and she's the creator of The Gordita Chronicles. Claudia, um, you mentioned there at the end, uh, coming out of the last segment, that uh, uh, Olivia, who plays Cuckoo, kind of like mentored you because of how well she handled, you know, uh, conversations about her weight and what have you, how she just really owned herself. And I'm wondering how it was different for you growing up because you said that um that maybe there were uh, like you said maybe there weren't times where you, you were able to laugh about it um until you really thought about this show as being a comedy yeah well you you know it was a different time as yeah. they say in mm -hmm. the 80s mm -hmm. and 90s and now um it, it feels like it, i'm very happy for kids nowadays even though i know you know body image issues and and sh body shaming is still an issue but we didn't have lizzo you know we didn't have like even jennifer lopez yeah. um in the 80s what i remember is there was um i remember heather locklear on dynasty and she was like so thin and like really really thin and um no curves nothing and i just it felt like there was one approved body type 
and um, everybody else just, you know, just was no good. Um, so, you know, yeah. you, you grow up with that. And, um, you know, I also had my parents telling me I had to lose weight and family members and everybody. And, um, you know, now I see that they just wanted me to be healthy and happy. And, um, and of course, we know that there are health risks associated with, um, you know, being overweight. That's a real thing. Um, but when you're little, you just, the message that you get is that, you know, you're not good enough. Right. There's something um, wrong with me. Like, uh, exactly. it's the takeaway as a kid. Yeah. But, yeah. but you turn that into fuel though, eventually. Uh, I, I think I'm thinking of, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall where he can't figure out the Dracula play until somebody tells him that it's a comedy, it's a musical and that, <laughs> and that it turns around for him. I love that movie. Um, I died. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the thing is what I realized too growing up is that everybody has a perceived defect. Mm -hmm. You know, especially in Latino culture, they're always calling out. Like, you know, Narizong, Oye Calvo, ven acá. Like, <laughs> you know, so they create this, you know, there's this great word in Spanish, complejo, which mm -hmm. is, you know, an insecurity about a certain thing. So everybody has their complejos that we have to like learn to deal with. Um, that's kind of part of, of what everybody like kind of has to deal with growing up and, and nobody thinks that they're perfect. Few people, you know, maybe Kim Kardashian, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so it, it was, it's still something that I'm kind of grappling with now. It's not like I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm gordita, fabulous, like, you know, so, um, yeah, sometimes I feel like another Spanish word I'll throw in, arrepentida, you know, sometimes mm. it's more like. Instead of gordita and proud is like gordita and ashamed. But, you know, we all go through those moments, those ups and downs. Did Did you find that doing the show helped you think through some of those things or begin to think through some of those things? Yes. Um, I also started seeing, because, um, you know, growing up, I always wished I was skinny. And, you know, in my 20s, when I was having problems, like boyfriend problems, I would always like think like, oh, if I was thinner, like I wouldn't have these problems. Mm. But now, um, you know, that I'm older, I see that, you know, in a way being gordita was a blessing because a lot of people told me I couldn't do things growing up. Um, you know, when I was taking ballet, they were like, oh, you can't dance on point. You're going to break your toes and you're not going to have a boyfriend. You're not going to get married. You're not going to be able to be a TV reporter. And that people telling me no actually made me realize what I really wanted. And I went for it anyway. And that was a very important lesson to learn persistence. Hmm. So, um, you know, and that's something that everybody experiences, people telling them no. And, you know, sometimes you, you just kind of like give up. But, um, you know, if you really want something, somebody telling you you can't do it is not going to stop you. And and you especially, you said it that that no has always been a motivating factor for you. Like somebody told you they didn't like your Miami accent, and you doubled, you created a show about uh, with with a Miami accent baked into it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it was like twenty five years between, you know, <laughs> the initial <laughs> moment of getting dissed. And the payoff, but you know, but still worth it. <laughs> are you are you getting yours now? Are you feeling like like has did Gordita help you the the Gordita Chronicles? Did it help you think through some things and even build like do you like as it went through? Did you find yourself using a lot of that personal history to build out the character, build out the show as you went? Um. Yes, I used so much of the you know, everything I went through to um, 
me and, and a lot of the writers, most of our writers were, again, either immigrants themselves or children of immigrants. So all of our real life experiences went into it, like the Halloween episode that was inspired by something that happened, um, you know, during my first Halloween. Um, Wait, tell me about that and- part, because I, I, I only remember the line, why do we have to mutilate this beautiful gourd? <laughs> yeah. Um, so when um, in 1981, um, you know, me and my sister found that about Halloween at school and everybody was talking about it. And um, my mom had no idea what it was. And we went to like, you know, Walgreens or Kmart or I, I don't remember what place to get um, costumes and they were all gone. So my mom had to help us like come up with these costumes. I think my sister was like an Egyptian you know, woman, and I, I think I was a ballerina. And um, my dad had been traveling um, all week and um, he came home and he's like, where are you guys going dressed like that? And we're like, oh, it's Halloween. He's like, oh no. Like he had, you know, heard about horror movies set during Halloween and he thought it was going to be dangerous. Oh. And then he- my His dad experience was, big- was Jamie Lee Curtis screaming into right? the camera. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want my daughters to get murdered on the street, you know, for a Snickers. And um, <laughs> listen, those many Snickers, they're worth it. I mean, yes. And the king size one, you know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, and my dad, like, used to love to lecture. He's like, oh, you know, he's like, you know, let me tell you about the history of, you know, uh, Halloween in the, the United States. And my mom, you know, who's extremely smart, she was like, okay, Felix. We're going to hear your lecture. We want to hear everything you have to say. But let me take the girls trick-or-treating first, and then we'll come back and we'll hear you out. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that is a pretty great holiday for a kid. Was that, did you find yourself, like, uh, did you have those moments throughout your growing up where you learned parts of culture um, and, and adapting to it? Uh, did, you, did you find yourself reacting to them as well as it was with Halloween? Were, were there some that, that stymied you, that, uh, that tricked you a little bit? Huh, God, I can't remember off the top of my head any of the ones that tricked me, but I'll tell you. Yeah, tell me. Go ahead. Well, some of the ones that that I found like fascinating, like, uh, well, Halloween, it was like, that was the day that like we landed at the beginning of October. And by the time Halloween came along and I went out trick-or-treating for the first time and I saw everybody in their costumes and people giving away candy, that was the day that my homesickness was cured. (laughs) I was like, I am an American. I love this country. I'm never leaving. Um... Something else was um, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. White, taught clogging. And I, yeah, I I thought like a couple of the popular girls in the class were like taking clogging. Like, and this is like the official dance of like, I think Arkansas or Kentucky. Like, it's kind of (laughs) like, you know, country tap dancing. And, um, And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. I love clogging. And I took clogging for a year. I quit ballet to take clogging. Amazing, um, amazing. Why, yeah. did, why did every kid in Miami learn how to square dance at in public school? Why did that? Why was that thing that was enforced on it us? It was. I, it was part of the curriculum. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. 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 I remember. It's now it, take your partner, Dozy Doe. Yeah. <laughs> so you went from <laughs> from ballerina to clog dancing. Yes. Brilliant. Well, you had other formative things down here, I assume, um, when when you were working your way up to to, to writing. Um, I'm reminded that you were that you worked on Caso Cerrado at one point, and I can't think of a more Miami thing. Caso Cerrado. Um, <laughs> I did, I actually didn't work. I worked with La Doctora Polo, oh. but not on Caso Cerrado. I worked on. She had briefly for three seasons um, about. 
12, 13 years ago, um, this show called Persiguiendo Injusticias, okay. which was like America's Most Wanted, oh. which is basically, yeah, investigating unsolved crimes. And um, I had worked um, with, I knew um, Helga Silva, who um, for many years was the news director at Canal 23. And then she was became one of the producers for that show. She found out I was in LA and I was like broke in LA, working like in catering. Oh, wow. And she's like, what are you doing in LA? And I'm like, oh no, I'm trying to become a TV writer. She's like, oh my God, do you want to work on the show? Like we need a producer in California. And I was like, okay. So it was like um, investigating unsolved crimes. And it was um, it, it, it was amazing to work with La Doctora Polo. I got to meet her on two occasions. And um, just, you know, everybody loves her all throughout the, the country, all the Latino um, audience. And yeah, we, we actually um, caught... Um, solved the crime of a border patrol agent who got killed. She was pregnant. She was like 23 years old oh, wow. and her ex-husband, her jealous ex-boyfriend killed her and he went to Mexico to hide out and we did a case on it and they found them and they arrested him. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and you were working in your field and you started working closer to what you wanted to do. Yes. How, how did that, how did that, because connect the dots for people, because those things lead to ultimately what you were doing, which is creating uh, Gordita Chronicles. Yeah, well, that actually, there were a couple of steps between, sure. you know, solving murders and Gordita Chronicles, <laughs> which is... <laughs> it's like Scooby-Doo. I, I feel like that yeah. those has been closer. Yeah, yeah. So um, that working on Persiguiendo Injusticias got me back on the radar for Telemundo, mm. which Telemundo is where I got my, you know, I, I worked for many years as a reporter. I started in Canal 51 in Hialeah, behind the scenes. Oh, nice. And then, okay. Yeah. And then um, I went to, um, I was a reporter in the Bay Area, and then I was a reporter in Chicago. What was that um, like? Anyway, did you, did you, did that experience teach you that, that, this was not it like this uh, th this path that oprah took it wasn't necessarily for you oh no i yeah. mean once you get it, it it's it's so hard to get a job as a tv reporter like once i got into it i really loved my time working in tv news and i kind of forgot about you know this in the late 90s um early 2000s not that i forgot about like tv writing um but i loved news so much and it was very gratifying like servicing the the immigrant and the latino community and i learned so much like you know i grew up in miami and then i go to the bay area and that's a whole different culture this you know mexican culture salvadorians um and you know san francisco bay area is, is very opposite in many ways to miami right. um so yeah i i really enjoyed that and um i i didn't stop working in news until september 11th um which oh, wow. they canceled them i was working in chicago for Buenos Dias Chicago and they canceled the morning show I was working on. So I went back to Miami and then I went back into public relations, oh, wow. find out about TV writing in LA, how you can break in, move to LA. And then I'm working in LA, um, trying to get jobs in the industry, trying to break in as a TV writer, um, start working for La Doctora Polo. And then um, I started working back in news here in Los Angeles. Right. And um, I, I think what grabs me is that it's such a hustle to get to where you were and Gorita Chronicles, was a hit. I mean, it was a hit by, I think, any measure. And inside of 30 days or something in like 34 days, somebody tweeted HBO had canceled it because they had... I, I'm curious why. Like, wh what did you hear? And and maybe tell me a little bit about what maybe what's next for the show. Yeah, well, 
and the moment it was extremely shocking like when we found out because we had um we were getting you know great audience numbers we we're getting great, re great reviews mm -hmm. they had even already paid us to start working on season two scripts so it was a huge shock and when they said oh we're no longer doing live action tv shows for kids and family I, I, when I first heard that, I thought it was BS. I'm like, wait, what are they not telling us? Hmm. But what I didn't know, which a lot of people know now, if you follow entertainment news, is that, you know, for many years, the um, the so-called streaming wars, we had all these TV shows and all these networks, and they were like spending money, spending money, spending money. And that was part of why I got my shot to um, have uh, as a first time TV creator to have this series on the air. I had only previously worked on two other shows. So because of the streaming wars, I got a, an opportunity to get Gordita Chronicles out there. And because of the streaming wars, it got canceled. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time when it happened, but um, you know, all the industry is in a period of contracting right now. A lot of, you know, our show was kind of like the canary in the coal mine where the Chronicles gets canceled. Then they say they're not gonna, you know, put out Batgirl. Then, you know, other shows start getting canceled. Then they start, you know, um, reversing like series others of other show, uh, orders of other shows. So it was kind of like, you know, the first shot fired as the industry contracts. Like right now it, it's a very turbulent time in Hollywood. Um, a lot of uh you know places like network um sorry um netflix and mm -hmm. uh warner brothers are just um cutting costs yeah so i mean it's still heartbreaking and unfair but you know that's the business yeah i i think about the show i mean it had zoe saldana who championed it was the executive producer eva longoria directed the pilot if i'm not mistaken you had this yes writer's room of of you know such kind of different immigrant background and diversity and the two latinas uh, at the head of it and was it a little bit dispiriting? Like, man, we have all this momentum, and how how did you how did you absorb that? And how have you come? Like, how are you now on the other side of that? I uh, it's something I'm still dealing with right now because even though it was because of the merger between Warner Brothers and Discovery that our show, you know, got canceled. Um, it wasn't because of the quality of the show or not enough viewers. So it, it's even though there's logical reasons for it, I am still very heartbroken. And um, it's it's challenging to come up with new show ideas after, you know, we had to show that all these wonderful things aligned for the show to come together and um, people liked it. And um, we were very fortunate. And I don't know if that could ever be replicated again, um, but um, yeah, it's 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 difficult. It's difficult, but that's that's part of the business. Things like this happen all the time. Well, you so I I I uh, keep trying to focus just on the fact that I got this great opportunity. I was going to say you've always. It sounds like you always turn a no into a yes in some way. I use it as as fuel. So what do you think the experience has done for you? Uh, before we just uh, have to go here in a couple minutes, I really want to know what what going through this experience and seeing it made and seeing it get success despite despite how it, it ended. How did that How did that change you? Oh, well, I, I now feel like, you know, as they say, I've arrived, like, you know, people, <laughs> <laughs> I was able to, you know, as a first time, this was the first TV show that I ever pitched and it went all the way to series. And that's like a huge accomplishment, uh, accomplishment Amazing. that can't be taken away. And um, I also, I think, showed that we can have other immigrant narratives um, you know, there's not, not all immigrant stories are the same. Um, and, um, 
I think we also were able to, you know, and I can't take all the credit because we had hundreds of people working on this show. And um, I think we also proved that like, you can make fun of the immigrant experience. It can be lighthearted and, and positive. You know, it's not all tragedy. I mean, if, if the immigrant experience was so bad, like we wouldn't have like, you know, millions of people coming to this country. You know what I mean? So I, I think it accomplished a lot. So, you know, I'm very proud of the show and, and, and I hope that in the future, you know, I can um, have another opportunity to have a series set in Miami and to show like different immigrant experiences and, and different like well-rounded three-dimensional Latino characters. Well, I'm, I'm sure it will definitely get that opportunity or, or that you will definitely get that opportunity. Is there anywhere that folks can see the show very, very quickly uh, now or is there any any future plans for it? So unfortunately, right now, you have to get on a plane to see Gordita. On American Airlines, you can see it, and you can see it on JetBlue. Um, season one, Sony, our studio, is um, shopping it around um, to another um, streamer. Season two, it doesn't look like we're going to get a season two. It is Hollywood, though. Anything can change at any moment. But um, it's not looking good for us getting a season two. And as for season one, that we're hoping we'll get to live on another streamer somewhere. Well, folks, get on a plane and catch Gordita Chronicles if you can. Claudia Forestieri, uh, the creator of Gordita Chronicles, thank you so much for joining us today and for making that time. Thank you, Carlos. And shout out to everybody in 305 whoop, whoop. and Hialeah and Miami <laughs> Springs. <laughs> You got it. And that's Sundown for Thursday, January 19th. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Our engagement editor is Katie Lepre-Cohen. Our digital editor is Mateo Sanchez. Katie Munoz is our interim managing editor. Our senior news editor is Jessica Bakeman. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's vice president of radio and Sundown's engineer. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up next week on the program, from the Surfside tragedy to OnlyFans courtroom drama, David Ovalle covered crime and courts for the Miami Herald for more than 20 years. Now he's moving on to cover opioids and the substance abuse crisis for the Washington Post. And he joins us here to take a look back at his career. I'm Carlos Frias. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.